0: If you're visiting with us today you will not perhaps be aware that last sunday the last sunday of our 2023 journey together i shared with you what i believe is a prophetic word that the lord gave me through a dream now since sharing that with you last week i've had all kinds of conversations with various people in different contexts. I was on a prayer Zoom for three days with all of the pastors from both the Northwest and the Midlands region of Elam at uh, 6.30 in the morning, or was it six in the morning? I can't remember. And I was asked to share this prophetic word by our regional leader. And to my surprise, you know, sometimes those environments are not always the easiest ones. To my surprise, so many people in those gatherings resonated with what we're saying, and they all identified areas where they had been contending with God for breakthrough and were happy to hear that in 2024, God had declared that this is the year of the open door. Obviously, when you talk a number of times about something, you start to get a feel that maybe this is something for more than just me, or maybe more than just us as a community, it would be so like God in the midst of some seasons in our lives that are pretty bleak or difficult to speak a word, a rhema word of hope and truth and freedom and liberty over his people. You know, I always look at the timing of things and I recognize that God's timing is always perfect. Just when you think nothing can happen, he speaks. Just when you think that the diagnosis is true, he moves in power. Just when you have no hope whatsoever left, he comes in all his goodness, in all his grace, in all his mercy, and suddenly, it's not always instant that the circumstances change, but your perspective on those circumstances are utterly transformed. You know, sometimes people come into church and they're a little bit fed up. Sometimes people go out of church and they're a little bit fed up. Not looking at anyone in particular. But you can't be in the presence of God whenever God begins to speak to you and stay the same. His word will not return to him void, but will accomplish what he has set it out to do. And so when God speaks to us, we must take those things very seriously. And so I want to just suggest to you that I've had about seven, maybe eight confirmations that the word that the Lord gave to me is actually something that I believe is for a, a greater purpose, and that is for his church in this hour. And right now, we're living in the most incredible times, aren't we? Take a look around you. You can see that the enemy is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking for anyone or anything he can devour. And it would be so easy in our humanity to just cave in or collapse under the 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 incredible pressure that that causes but actually here's what is true when the enemy is moving he's knowing he knows that god is about to move powerfully in his people satan does not waste his resources he has a limited capacity and when you look around you and you see what he can do with his resources we need to remind ourselves there's no recession in heaven. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. But do not be distracted by that which brings destruction, which is a heart that's been led down a path of disappointment and disillusionment, but be reappointed in your heart, redefining a future for yourself by faith, in confidence that God who started this work in you will carry it on until it's completed. And the Bible tells us repeatedly that the best days of the church are not the early days. The best days of the church are the end times. God is gonna do something glorious in the end times. So this little vision, dream, whatever it was that God gave me, I'm gonna say it to you quickly and we're gonna move into some other things. If you weren't here last week, it's probably beneficial to hear it and for those watching online who didn't catch it last week, I had a dream. It sounds like a song, doesn't it, from Abba, but no, it wasn't that. I had a dream, and in this dream, I'm standing in what looks like a, a threshold of some kind, a place of uncertainty, a place of transition, and it felt very insecure in the dream, and so my natural response, if something's insecure under my feet, is to hunker down, is to get down. And I heard the voice of the Lord speak to me in this dream, and he said, stand upright. And straight away, I found myself standing to my feet, not with any confidence in myself, but because he had spoken, because he had instructed, because he had commanded me to stand, I stood. And I'm standing with an awareness of my inadequacy, but I'm also standing with an awareness of his authority. And when he speaks, we should do what he tells us to do. Amen? Amen. So I stood up, thinking that would be the end of it. And then he said, walk forward in the dream. And I didn't want to do that, I didn't even want to stand, but as I stepped out of what was a very transitional and and, um, uncomfortable place, I stepped into something that was worse, it felt like there was nothing to stand on, it was like a vacant area of space, and I was reminded of this truth, that we do not walk by what we feel. When Peter got out of the boat to walk on water, you do know it wasn't water he was walking on, He was walking on the invitation of Jesus who said, come to me, Peter. So we don't walk on the temporal or even the earthly. We walk on the eternal, which is the voice of God. And when he speaks and you move, you are standing in the most secure place you will ever find on the planet Earth because his word is a firm foundation. It will hold you and keep you no matter what happens around you. And as these things were happening, I'm walking towards what I can see in the distance is this tiny little speck of light. And as I saw it, I was curious because I'm a nosy beggar. I thought, I wonder what that is. And I realized that the instruction to walk was to take me right up to the precipice of where this light was shining. It seemed like far, far away. But as I walked in obedience towards this light, I realized it wasn't a light at all. It was an open door and the door was swung wide, and I could see beyond the threshold of what was a dark area I was in, this glorious radiance, this wonderful light. As I woke, the Lord gave me a scripture, and it was this scripture here. Revelation three, verse eight. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I don't think you heard that. An open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Gosh, isn't that the truth? (laughs) Little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And as I read that scripture, I found it on my phone, I read it just to be sure I was hearing correctly. The Lord said to me, Simon, I'm declaring this year 2024, will be the year of the open door. Amen, amen and amen and amen. And, and, and church, let me just tell you some things that are important because I think that when the Lord speaks, there are two questions we need to ask. What does this mean? And that's not a question I can answer for you, that's a question that He will answer for you. If you take the time, to pray and to seek him, and say, God, what does this mean? And you know, if I had a pound for every time people presumed they knew what God meant, I'd be a very wealthy man. I've been in so many contexts where people think they know what God is doing, and the, the problem is we are presumptive, we even work out of familiarity, we think we've seen this before, we've heard this before. Do not do any of those things. Stay curious and say, God, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does the year of the open door mean for me? What does it mean for my family? What does it mean for my context? And the second question, once you've got the answer to that question is, what must I now do? Because there's no point in hearing from God if it doesn't turn up in your life in some practical outworking. So this morning I want to talk to you if I can, because we're grappling with some of these things. I know that for some of us in this room, do you mind if I take my coat off? Yeah, well it's tough, I'm taking it off anyway. (laughs) We're grappling with things like this. Let me tell you why. In Ephesians chapter two, it tells us that the church, that's the roots, the beginning of what we have become, was founded on the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. Now, when you go back to thinking about how the New Testament church worked in the book of Acts, you will see, if you're honest, and I think honesty is good, it feels, looks like, sounds, quite different than church as we know it now. In the New Testament, the church founded on the works of the apostles and the prophets had many, many miraculous experiences. Miracles happened all the time. It was part of the culture of what the apostolic and the prophetic ministries created. Take a look around you now, you see that when we have a miracle, which we are seeing some signs of God moving more and more towards healing the sick, that's a wonderful thing, and we don't take that for granted. It's a rare thing, and we pause to celebrate it. But if you were in the New Testament church, every week, somebody was healed. Every week, somebody was set free. Every week, somebody had an encounter with God that radically transformed their life. Every week, somebody had a word from heaven that was so powerful, it changed everything about their lives. The New Testament church started its adventure on the foundation stones of the apostolic ministry of the disciples and the prophetic gifts that God gave to the body of Christ. Today, most churches are led by pastor teachers. And our greatest goal is not the kingdom of God. Our greatest goal is that we have a good, theologically sound, robust sermon. In spite of the fact that we've heard millions of them, That's our expectation. And we come to church because we want to hear the word. We don't have a great expectation that people will get saved in our meetings. Hello? In fact, we probably don't even ask God to do that. Such has been the conditioning of the culture that we're in. We have no sense that that may or may not happen. And yet, in the New Testament, The church, the early church, was full of people who had come to faith, people who were discovering Jesus and his truth for the first time. When we come and gather as a community now, we're thinking about ourselves. I just need a word from God. I want God to speak to me. I want God to minister to me. I need this. I need that. I need the other. When the New Testament church gathered, it was all about the city. We are here with this purpose in mind. We're here to change the world for Jesus. Such is the power that changed and transformed us. We know it has a capacity to transform everything around us. And if you go back to Acts chapter two where the Holy Spirit initiated the birth of the church through the apostolic and the prophetic because Peter was prophesying as well as being apostolic, you notice that 3,000 men, not counting women and children, came to faith in the city of Jerusalem that day. The church was birthed with a mandate attached to her existence, and that was to release life into every context. But the reason that that happened like that is underneath all of the the, the attributes and the community and the feeding of those in need was this apostolic endeavor, this, this thrusting out into the world where anything was possible. And the disciples didn't believe That all they could expect from their gathering was to go home at the time when their dinner would be ready. They so wanted to be together. This is what it says in Acts 2.43. They ate together in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts. And many were added to their number on a daily basis. They couldn't keep up with what God was doing. Why? Because when the apostolic and the prophetic work hand in hand, it creates life. And it's not a human energy or resource, it's the power of the spirit working in and through God's people. And that would mean if we had the foundations of an apostolic prophetic ministry here, that would mean a couple of things that maybe it's necessary for me to say. One is this, when we gather, it's not about what you get. It's about what you can give away. That's a whole other shift from the me, myself, and I trinity that exists in most of our lives. I'm not going to church because I don't like the worship or the pastor is too vocal or whatever it is. There's always a reason not to do something. But the problem is not the pastor. You could go to the best church on the planet. The pastor could be the most amazing woman or man of God. The problem is you think this is about you. You've bought the lie, the sinister lie that this is all about you that everything that happens here is you-centric. I want to tell you, church, go back and read your Bible. That's not true. The apostle Paul puts it so succinctly, for me to live is Christ. And to die, that's to my advantage. That doesn't sound like the trinity of me, myself, and I. He's not praying for comfort. He's praying for revival. He's not praying for nice meetings. He's praying for the outbreaking of the power of the Spirit that transforms and changes communities and cities. He's not praying that he would retire early, get out of the problems and the difficulties, saying, God, while there's breath in my body, use me for your glory. Look around you. Is that how we live? Is that why we gather? Is that what we think we're doing? I think so often. The reason for some of these things is that our foundations are not built on the apostles and the prophets. They're built on the pastor-teacher model of ministry. And if you go around, and I've got great exposure over the years to many contexts, I'm not talking from this one, hundreds of churches, thousands of people, the vast majority of churches are led by pastor-teachers. And that's a wonderful gift, and I thank God for pastor-teachers I would love to be a Bible theologian. Goodness knows I've tried. It's just not my calling. And unfortunately for you, if you come here every Sunday looking for three things beginning with P, (laughs) you will have spotted a deficit. The gift that God has given me is somewhere between apostle, apostle and prophet, but the most profound thing that comes out of it is that I really get up people's noses. So I'm doing my job if you're slightly offended. It's my job to wake you up. And that's what the gift of prophecy does. It wakes people up. If you go back to the Old Testament and you look at the times whenever God raised up individuals to speak, they didn't speak, oh, the Lord loves you. He thinks you're fabulous, look at your hair. Those teeth, they shine like stars, particularly when you put them in the jar overnight. The prophetic gift disrupts. It cuts across what we're familiar with and invites us to inquiry. What does this mean? And now what must I do? And we are standing in a moment as a community and I think more beyond us, there are greater things that will happen through us where we have to ask that question. Is this God speaking to us? Or do I just dismiss it because my paradigm says it makes me feel slightly uncomfortable that I have to engage with something beyond myself? Or do I pause and say, God, is this you? Are you speaking to us? Now, I wanna tell you something, it's no surprise to you. I'm highly selfish. And 99.999% of the time, I'm not thinking about you. Just like you, 99.99 pine said that I'm not thinking about me. Because we have become slightly self absorbed with self. Talk to me, I'm telling you the truth. So if God speaks to me, why would he speak to me? Why would he show me something? The only possible reason for that is that I am given by his grace charge over this assembly. I stand as a gatekeeper, as a watchman over this assembly, and he has spoken to me about what's available to you. It would be remiss of me not to tell you. It would be foolish of me to think that that word hasn't got some landing place in your heart and in your life because some of you have been stuck in 1974 forever. Some of you have not got over the pandemic. You're still living looking over your shoulder Am I wrong? I'm right. I'm right twice a year, this is the second time. But well, actually it's the first time because the year hasn't happened yet. In December of this year I will be right once more. I will tell you if you're here. So God is speaking and you've got to discern, is it God? You've got to prayerfully discern, is that you Lord? Could it be? What does this mean for me? And what must I do with what you're saying? And I encourage you to take it seriously because in the space of a week, I have seen some of the capacity that this particular phrase has to release some people who have been stuck for a long time in a particular place. You see, what we do with what God says is hugely important. So let's look at some of the things in this particular sentence from the scriptures that I think I can identify with. The first one is this, I know your deeds. Now I wanna remind you that that's not God looking with judgment upon his people. Sometimes when we think God speaks to us in that manner, we think he's exposing our sinfulness and our weakness. But as you look through the sentence, you realize that that's not his motive. He's simply saying, I see you. I see you. I see you at church on a Sunday, wanting more of God. I see you when you're praying at the kitchen sink. I hear your heart, I notice it, I'm drawn towards you. I see you when you choose to fast and pray because you need something more than you currently have. I see you when you look at your family and they're not everything you would hope or desire that they would be. I see you when you feel isolated and alone and in need and you don't think you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you where you are, I see you for who you are, And I'm drawn towards you. I love you. I delight in you. My favor rests upon you. I see you in your brokenness. I see you in your shame. I see you in the pain and discomfort of a life that's been trashed by somebody else. I see you. I see you. You are not beyond my gaze. I can look and see throughout the whole span of the earth. And I know your name, your address, your age, your desires, your hopes, your dreams, your disappointments, and your delights. I know you. I see you. I can see through the facades that you put up when you pretend on a Sunday how wonderful everything is and you go home at the end of the service and think, my God, what will you do that will change the way I feel about this, that or the other? I see you when hope has gripped your soul to the point where you don't know what to say or how to respond or even how to pray. I see you when your praise is empty and there's no love or affection that's attached to it and I see you whenever you persistently keep doing what you know is right to do and nobody knows how much it costs you or what reward awaits you. I see you, I know your deeds, I know who you are, I know what you want, I know where you go, I know what you do. It's not a condemnation scripture, it's an invitation scripture to understand that you are not beyond the gaze of the one who created you. His eye is on the sparrow. I see you. I see you when you're overlooked for that job. I see you when they think her, because she's better looking than you, gets the position. I see you. And I see the way you love me. In spite of everything that's happened to you, I notice these things. I am the God who sees beyond the surface. I see your heart that's tender and broken and in need, and I see your heart that rejoices in the presence and the power of my love for your heart and life. God sees you, I know your deeds. We start from a place of intimacy and then we understand the invitation attached to it. It says, for I know your deeds and see, in other words, look up from yourself for a moment, step away from some of the things that are natural, and use your heavenly given perception, which is discernment, by the way, to see what I have placed before you. And I wanna say to you, church, that if there's one thing you do this year for yourself, get over your past. Your past has shaped and misshaped your sense of what God has for you. And it's very hard to be hopeful for a future when you've got a life that's riddled with destruction in the past. It's very hard to believe God's gonna do great things when you're consciously aware of your own weakness and despise some things in your heart. It's very hard to step beyond disappointment to the new appointment which is life and life and all its fullness. It's very hard and you need to train yourself to do it. And do you know how you do that? Can I give you a secret? Stop looking at what the devil's doing. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look for God. Yeah, your marriage is in trouble. Where's Jesus in it? Your workplace is chaotic. Where's Jesus in it? Your finances are trashed. Where's God in it? I prayed for two ladies at the end of the service. They're working in the National Health. God bless those people. They're still working. God bless those people. How do they survive? And she said to me, one of the ladies, she manages a team, she said, I'm just so overwhelmed by everything. I want to quit. I said, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to quit, but there's another alternative. Stay and be glad. Stay and rejoice. Stay and bring the presence of God because that's the only thing that really changes and transforms everything. There are options available other than quitting. Amen? And what it does, it tests our resolve, and our resolve doesn't like to be tested. But you know, it's not about on Sunday when I'm singing my praise songs, it's about Monday when the whole thing has fallen apart. And I still love Jesus, and I still believe he's got power, and I still believe he's capable of doing a measure. I have to test my faith in an environment that draws from me the clarity and how much power there is in believing in God. I can't have a wishy-washy life and expect it all to keep growing and changing. I need some adversity, it's actually good for me. That's why God sent me here. (laughs) That's why God sent me here for you. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Is it or isn't it God who says, I've opened a door for you in 2024? Don't you owe it to yourself to ask him some questions? Isn't it time to break out or break in to something fresh and something new? Aren't you tired of the same old, same old and long for a greater adventure? Has your heart given up in the hope that is steadfast and sure? Have you assigned to yourself this small life without realizing that the kingdom of God is expansive and glorious? Do you not realize that the boundaries have fallen for you now in pleasant places and you can go to the north, the south, the east and the west and have a much bigger experience of God and before we all start believing, the Bentleys will arrive on the drive And that house in barn green that we all wanted is coming. I'm telling you, those things are not what this is talking about. It's talking about such a vibrant, explosive, powerful relationship with God. It wouldn't matter whether you had millions or you had nothing. You are content in Him. This is about revival. This is about God inviting us to an expansive place of relationship with Him. It's not about a job opportunity. I'm sure they will start to happen. But it's not about a job. It's about this It's about your life, it's about your calling, it's about your relationship with God. And if you ever doubt what God's will is for your life, let me tell you what it is, that one day, by the power of his spirit, through the invitations God gives you, you will love him like he loves you, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And look what it says here, I've opened a door for you that no man can shut. Aren't you tired of living under the circumstances of other people's decisions? If God opens a door, I don't know about you church, that's up to you, you gotta work it out for yourself. I'm walking through it in 2024. I've been praying for breakthrough, fasting, asking God to do something fresh and new in my life, and he's speaking to me. I'm not gonna hang back, I'm gonna walk forward. And what I notice about these things, whenever prophetic words come, because the church is so often pasteurized and taught, and that's great, we have a tendency to be very cautious about prophecy. We're suspicious of any prophetic word. See, what's remarkable about that is, if you're not listening to God, who are you listening to? (laughs) And if God is not speaking to you, who are you following? God speaks all the time. My sheep will hear my voice. He tells us that he wants to communicate with us and I have to discern, is this him? Because I've got other things at work in my life and if it's not him, I dismiss it and if it is him or I have the inkling that it might be him, I take some time to spend it with him. I don't leave it to someone at the front or someone sitting next to me because anyone can be cynical. Anyone can be cynical. You walk outside this door and there's an epidemic of cynicism. It takes courage to have faith takes courage to believe that God is speaking. See, the remarkable thing about Christianity, above all other religions, it's not that we talk to God in prayer. What's remarkable about Christianity is that God talks to us. And his voice is like the sound of many rushing waters. It brings healing and restoration. And he has said, and I'm confident enough for my own life, I pray you'll get to the same place, that I have opened a door that no one can shut. Can anyone say amen to that? And then I bear witness with this next sentence, but you have little strength. (laughs) Does that sum up your life? (laughs) And you know, having little strength is not a disadvantage, it's actually an advantage. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by His Spirit. Here's a little eye-opener to little strength. Unless the Lord builds your house, you're just laboring in vain. I mean, earlier this morning when we were praying in the worship team together, I felt I needed to say to them that getting in touch with our inadequacy is a really good start to 2024. Because look back over the years when you thought you could and you didn't. How many promises have you made to God to change and you haven't? You see, unless I come to the Lord in humility, I'm coming in pride. It's not I can do all things, it's I can do all things through the resource of Christ who strengthens me. I can only be what you call me by your glory, by your grace, by your mercy. And I've learned over the years that getting in touch with my inadequacy is a good starting point to worship. When I come acknowledging That I have deficiencies in my spiritual journey or even my physicality. I come in humility. And guess what? It says that my God will supply all my needs. If I understood how spirituality worked, I would be the neediest person in this room. And guess what? I think I might be. Your inadequacies are opportunities for his glory. He takes the foolish things of this world and uses them to confound them. And I know you've all got degrees and MAs and PhDs, but you know when you get to heaven, no one's gonna give you a better seat. (laughs) I mean, you might get one down here because God is no respecter of people. It's your heart. It's your heart, your life, your relationship with him. I stood so many times praying for people, I had nothing to say, I didn't know what to pray, I felt out of my depth with their need, and I've learned to trust that when I allow my inadequacy to move towards God dependency, something of his glory begins to manifest. Your inadequacies are not to be hidden. I know in the workplace, we've gotta be all singing, all dancing, and have it all together. Everyone's lying to you, none of them have it all together. They're all lying to you. It's it's one of the greatest masquerades in society that I have to be on top to be valuable. I think one of the keys is walking in that integrity. God, I am who I am by your grace. And I turn up in this space and I do the best I can. And you know who I am. And you know what I'm like. And you know my good, bad, and ugly days. And I need you. I need you. You know what you do for your marriage in 2024? Tell him you need him. You know, you can't be married to somebody without the help of Jesus. Have you tried it? My goodness gracious I me. Mean, marriage is about death, isn't it? You have to die to your needs for the benefit of somebody else. How are you doing with that? You, the only person who can kill you off is God. Don't let the devil get hold of you. Okay? You need to die to yourself so that you can live for Christ. Hello. And only God can help you with that. Your inadequacies are to your advantage in 2024. It says, yet in spite of all of that, you've kept my word. In other words, you've done what you've known to be right. And I know some of us in this room have done that for years and we've wanted to see a move of God. I'm telling you now, now God has declared he's about to move powerfully in your life. You've not denied me. Just the simplicity of those words can sometimes escape us. So let me talk to you for the few minutes I have you left over some things that I think are important when it comes to hearing the voice of God. Look at the screen, you'll hear two words here being mentioned, prophecy, that's God speaking, and responsibility. There is no prophecy that doesn't have an element of responsibility attached to it. And responsibility is I have to do what I need to do to believe or to not believe that this is or isn't God. I have to discern whether this is the voice of God. I have to pray and seek God about what I believe someone says God is saying. So many times we just take glibly the prophecy without taking responsibility for it. And here's what happens, even if it is God, even if it's God that's speaking to you, and I have a great conviction it is personally, if you don't play your part in partnering with what God is saying, by this time next year, you'll be living like a door isn't open because God has subjected the advances of his kingdom to the partnerships he has with his people. We have Bibles. I've met thousands of people over the years. God told me in 1972 I'd be a great this. God told me in 1984 I'd win the Eurovision. (laughs) (laughs) Listen to me. Unless you work with what you've been given to work with, it's just a word and it will sit in your Bible. God's promises are yes, the process and the responsibility is to get to a place where I can say amen. I'm working on my amens, amen. I'm working on them, I'm working with what God says. So how do we do that? When God speaks something like this, how do I take responsibility myself for discerning it's God's will and working towards some kind of partnership with it? Well, there are three things that I think we can do that will help us. The first one is this. Does this word contradict God's word? Now, if you hear a prophecy from anybody, your first place you should go is to the Bible. What does the Bible say about this matter? Well, I think we've pretty much done that to death because in Revelation 3:8 it says, I have opened a door for you. We've just read the scripture. In fact, as you go through the scriptures, I think it's about 60 or 70 times, there are utterances from the Lord about doors that are opening up and a door reflects a new season or a new opportunity or a place of transition. Um, Alongside all of this, and we'll probably look at this next week if you're still here, is that at the end of September, I think around September the 15th, in the Jewish calendar, which is different than our own, they moved into a new year. And that year has been declared in Jewish culture and according to the the numerology of it, a year of an open door. So I am hearing all around me nuances and words that are confirming what I believe God has given me. And you have to do that journey for yourself. You have to discern, does it fit with God's character, his nature, his word, and is there confirmation? Look at the second point, is there confirmation? Are there people who are coming and saying things? I've been involved in ministry for a long time now And I've heard all manner of stupid things that people declare to be God. I remember praying with one lady, she just got married and she was uncomfortable in her marriage vows and her experience as a wife and she was asking the Lord for a word and she went to the fridge and she saw lying in the fridge a chocolate bar and on the outside of it said, break away. And so she came to me to tell me that the Lord had spoken through her. And she needed to break away from her husband. I was just so grateful. I was so grateful it wasn't a Mars bar. (laughs) Or a Milky Way. (laughs) And I said to her, you know if that's what you think God is saying to you, don't you think maybe you need to go to his word and see what his word has to say to you? Oh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm going with what God is saying to me. So I just want to tell you, I wouldn't leave a marriage over a chocolate bar. <laughs> you know, th- those are big commitments and you made them before God and just wait and think and pray and get some counsel and you know, oh pastor, it's done, it's done. I wanted to sneak into our house and put a Twix in the fridge. (laughs) With a little note that two are better than one. (laughs) But I wasn't naughty enough or courageous enough (laughs) to do that. But I've heard the most ridiculous things. If God speaks, and it is God that's speaking, he will back it up in his word and he will bring confirmation to you from an external party. And, and that's not people walking up to you in the street, although that does some, sometimes happen. God says, I feel God is telling me blah, blah, blah. That can happen. But sometimes it's just you hear a sermon or a song or you're in a context that perhaps isn't necessarily a, a Christian. I remember one time we were in Glasgow. I was coming back from a renewal meeting. God was moving powerfully in those days in our lives. And um, I was contemplating whether or not we should move the church into a larger building and and Glasgow a bit like here perhaps there's some kind of sacred sacredness to a location and I think sometimes people feel like that you know this this church was built on on the prayers and the investments of people who've gone before us many who sacrificially gave, and and there's a great legacy with that, and we want to honor that, but you know, sometimes God moves people. And and so in Glasgow, we had the same thing. We just had a building project. We got bigger, all of that kind of stuff, and and the building wasn't big enough for what God wants to do, and we have the same problem right now. We have the same problem, right? Don't look around. There's two services here, and both of them are filling up, and on New Year's Eve, we must have had about 600 people in this building. There was that amount of people. I'm sure it was illegal. Thank God there was no police person here. (laughs) You couldn't stand, you couldn't sit, there were so many people. God wants to bring increase, and sometimes a building stops that process. I don't care about buildings, but they're wineskins that God can fill. And so we were at that point, and uh, I was saying, God, I need to go and talk to somebody about this because I'm frustrated, and I drive up at the traffic light, it's 11.45 at night, and I'm I'm sitting at the traffic, why do traffic lights work in the middle of the night? There's nobody on the road but me. (laughs) Okay, and it seemed like forever, and I was stuck there, and I said, God, what are you trying to say to me? Speak to me, and I looked out of the corner of my eye because one of these neon kind of, not neon, these um, rolling screen things moved, and it got my attention, and it was Nike, the prophet Nike. (laughs) Did you know there was a prophet called Nike? And, And it just said, just do it, just do it the lengths God has to go to to speak to us. It's phenomenal, just do it. And so we just did it. And um, we laugh at that, but that wouldn't have been anything to me had I not had a sense or or, or, or a conviction from the word that God was already speaking to me. Those things, they become um, helpful to us because they confirm what we already know to be true. Never make a decision without confirmation. And never let confirmation alone be your guide or your decision-making process. There are lots of people who will say things are from God to you. The Lord wants to speak to you today. Thus say, the Lord, you'll be a millionaire by Tuesday. Just think, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, I'm not tithing on it. <laughs> Tuesday's is near, isn't it? Confirm, if the Lord has already spoken to you about something, you can say, well, I'll weigh that. I'll think about that. I'll pray about that. And the third thing is, Whatever God is inviting you to in 2024, whatever the open door will mean for you, the one thing I know to be sure and true is you're going to need dependency on God to see it come to pass. You're not going to be able to do this in your own strength. You're going to need a greater level of trust. You're going to need a greater level of faith. You're going to need a greater level of acceptance that God is in control of your life. You're going to need the fullness of the Lordship of Christ to take you into the fullness of the invitation that God has given So what is this all about? Well, I believe what God has given us is an invitation. And now it needs some of our effort and our investment to some form of application. If God was to say to you today that 2024 is gonna have loads of opportunities, I wanna ask you to be honest, do you think your heart's up to that? Do you think your faith is up to that? Now I'm not talking about that fake faith where we all say amen and hallelujah to everything. Okay, I'm talking about the real you on the inside. If if this was true and God was gonna open up this expansive new reality for you spiritually, do you not think that you need to change some things or adjust some things or align some things or cultivate some things in your life? Of course you do. One of the greatest obstacles to prophecies being fulfilled is we're not ready. We haven't done inventory. We haven't sought the Lord. We haven't turned away from some things. We haven't adopted some. Some of you in this room, you're so used to being disappointed that if God called you to hope and expectation, you wouldn't know what to do with that. And God is not stupid. He knows who you are and he knows how to work with you. But you've got to start being open and honest with him about that. You know, after New Year's Eve, I expected to come back to revival. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you how many times after we've had great events, I thought, that's it, there's going to be jumping on Sunday. The only thing that was jumping is my knee because it was paining me from standing for too long. Because we don't walk by sight. And one of the things we have to learn as we step towards 2024 is that we will never perceive it with natural ability. We need supernatural capacity. We need God to speak. We need God to show us something. We need God to reveal something to us. And so here's how that works. Revelation is necessary. I am convinced this is God. It's up to you to get convinced or not that it is or isn't God. But what revelation does is it brings elevation. And what does elevation mean? The Bible says that when we see him, we can become like him. We behold him and we have a revelation of him and then we have the ability by the power of his spirit to move and to operate in that which he invites us to. And elevation is always the work of the Holy Spirit. When you see him, when you behold him, you're invited to a new posture. You're invited to a new perspective. What is that perspective? We, you and I, are seated with Christ in heavenly places, above all thrones, above all dominions, above all powers. We are co heirs with Jesus Christ. If I'm living down here, I'll never see the world from up there. If I'm conscious about the earthly realities and don't have a spiritual clarity, I will be living in the lesser reality than the one I'm called to, which is to sit with Christ. It is accomplished and completed work with a perspective on this world that is full of hope and full of life and full of faith. Yeah. And you won't have faith if you're under your circumstances. You need to rise up from those things, come out from under those things. They have held you back and held you down You have been seated with Christ in heavenly places. So what does that look like practically? That means I read the word of God and what it tells me, I believe. When I pray my prayers, I'm not praying out of disappointment, I'm praying out of my appointment, which is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to transform the world in which God has placed me. I am the head and not the tail. I am first and I am not last. I have to switch up some things and believe what God says, whose report will you believe, and it's important, and as that happens, as God shows me whether this is or isn't true, he will lift me out and up into a perspective where I start to see a different reality. A friend of mine, she's a well-renowned worship leader, all over the world has had amazing success in in her ministry. She was at Bible college with me. Her name is Catherine. And a uh, little wee Irish girl came from Northern Ireland from a Presbyterian background. And at the time in worship, it was the big anthems of hill songs. Shout to the Lord. And Catherine just didn't have that big voice. She didn't have that, the, the lung capacity. I mean, she was only four foot three. There wasn't enough space to have those lungs. But she had such an anointing when she sang. And so, what happens at Bible colleges, they try to explore with you the callings in your life. And she was invited to lead worship. And every single time she led worship, she would say, It just was disastrous. The paradigm of worship at that time was, you know, big, big anthems of, of, of power and glory and authority. And yet, when she sang her own songs there was a tenderness and an authenticity and a transparency that really was quite profound and it would move you deeply it wasn't rah rah Christianity it was God you're speaking to my heart I remember sitting with her one day just we had to keep the doors open in Bible college I don't know what the thing's going to happen when you say hello to somebody but (laughs) but she was sitting on the end of a bed and I walked past and the Holy Spirit spoke to me He said go and encourage her Because, you know, I was so blessed by her ministry and it wasn't the ministry everybody wanted her to have or even she wanted herself. And I just said, Catherine, you know, whenever you stand at the piano, sit at the piano and you just begin to play, I want to tell you, there's nothing here in this environment that moves my soul the way. Oh no, she said, it can't be right. Look, look at the evidence. When I lead worship, people are clocked off. Well, I look like that every Sunday when people listen to me preaching. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And, and I said, no, 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 that's don't look at their faces. In fact, there's a wonderful scripture that says, don't look at their faces. So when I'm shutting my eyes, I'm doing just that. Don't look into the faces. I'm looking, okay. um, and I said, no. And she said, look, it's just like, and I said, do me a favor, pull that chair out from under your desk. And she pulled the chair out. I said, from where you're sitting on the edge of your bed, what can you see? And she talked about, I can see the chair, I can see the desk. Da, da, da. I said, now I want you to kneel on the chair. Just kneel on the chair. Because she was short, that gave her a little bit of stature. I said, what do you see? Well, I can see that that book I lost is over there in the corner. And I can see that this is happening. I said, now stand up on the chair. Stand up on the chair, Catherine. And she stood up on the chair. I said, what do you see? I can see everything. I can see everything in the room. You see, if you're on the edge of your bed and all you can see is down here, if you're hanging out with turkeys, you're going to have a rough Christmas. Christmas but he has called you to rise up with wings of eagles. He has called you to an elevated place. That's not arrogance, that's a position that's been given to you through the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. He has called you from low life living to high dominion over all things. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Why are you talking like you're an orphan when you're a son of the most high God? Why are you living in poverty whenever God has called you to his glory? Whose report will you believe? Get up, get up, get up out of that grave in 2024 year and realize there's a resurrection power. I almost went off the edge there. The resurrection power, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? Not for me. You need elevation. And here's what happens when revelation gives you elevation and you see things differently. You have acceleration. You move quickly towards that which God has for you. Thanks for coming. Let's stand together, shall we please? I know your deeds. I see you. And I have placed before you an open door. 2024, please take some time to pray, to seek and to ask if this is true. But I'm declaring it with some confidence because I've journeyed with it for a little while and seen some evidence around it. 2024 is the year of the open door. And no one will shut it, amen. I know that your strength is limited. You have in many ways out of your faithfulness become weary. But do not grow weary in doing good. For in the right time Christ will elevate you. Amen. Amen. And yet in spite of some of those difficulties you've kept my word and you have not denied my name. Lord, Lord, Are you speaking to us? And I want my heart to say, as the boy Samuel said, Lord, your servant is listening. And Lord, everything that I can do to partner with this, give me the strength to do it. Because I don't believe you accidentally say things. I believe you're highly intelligent and intentional about timing, and everything concerning your will and your purpose. And when I look around in this world, Lord, I see things are chaotic, and it would be so like you just to speak into that vacuum, into that void, and bring order, and bring life, and raise your people up, Lord, full of hope, full of joy, radiant in peace, glorious in the power of the Holy Spirit, to bring an apostolic revolution, to overturn the tables of power that exist in our world that keep the lowly low and those in positions of authority high. You are a disruptive God. Come and disrupt everything. Lord, the best phrase I can think of to say that out loud is let everything that can be shaken be shaken because all we want, Lord, all we've ever wanted and what we need more than we can even articulate is Your presence and your power and a greater knowledge and understanding of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And Lord God, I pray that you will speak to all of the people listening to this as you have spoken to me. And Father, let the confidence that needs to rise in our hearts, the alignments that need to take place, the partnerships that need to exist, the elevation that brings acceleration, that all of those things, Lord God, fall into place in our lives because if you've opened a door, I don't know about anyone else in this room, I'm going to walk through it, Lord. I'm going to walk through it. Now, bless you people, I pray, Lord. Higher, 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 Lord, than we've ever realized. Further, 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 God, than we can ever attain through human effort, Lord. And let you who began this great thing in us, bring us to a place in the season of favor and blessing, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a wonderful week.